Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jesse Billington, and joining me to review all the action from Monaco in the feeder series is Timo Albus Daly. How are you? I'm pretty darn good, thank you, Jesse Billington. How are yourself? I'm not doing too badly. A little bit sunburned, a little bit, little bit sort of tired. I've had a busy weekend at Brent's Hatch watching the Masters Racing Series. I was about to say feeder series. That's what we're about to talk about. Masters Racing at Brent's Hatch. Classic cars going around. Some classic F1 cars going around as well. If you love screaming DFV V8s, that's the place to be. Fantastic. Um, and you can check all of that out on our Instagram page. Where yeah, we'll there'll be photos. some photos coming up there. I've got some that I need to develop in the background. Um, but yeah, trying to talk over those um has meant that my voice sounds quite gravelly at the moment so uh for those of you that are going oh he sounds husky um there's your reason why um yeah anyway we'll jump um, straight into something a little more uh, relevant than my rather alluring sounding voice and uh, move on to what the hell has happened and um the crucial things to note from this really was uh, qualifying wise we had vesti on pole for formula two and gabrielli mini on pole for formula three some decent pole performances there Especially when the only other thing worth mentioning about, which I didn't put in the notes, is just that there was a lot of crashing through both categories in qualifying. It seems they got all of that out of the way early doors, which there wasn't too much in the way of incidents across the rest of the weekend, um, aside from a couple of obvious ones that we'll get to. But yes, yeah, solid pole from from Vestity. He's kind of just, again, one of these drivers that has been flying under the radar a little bit and just coming out every now and again and being absolutely just flat in the pan, but then he's just still working away nice behind the scenes and mini, even impressive all season. So it's not too much of a surprise there. And again, just nice to see. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely a lot of crashy action early on from the two feeder series, but yeah, the the sprints and the features were nowhere near as hectic as we anticipated them being, especially no. with Formula 3, given the amount of cars we're anticipating on track. I know... The Sky Feed had friend of the podcast, Harry Benjamin, doing some commentary, I think, for it. And um, we Alice had Powell. Alice Powell as well. Absolutely brilliant um, contribution to the commentary across the weekend in the feeder series. Got to gotta say round of applause to Alice for that. Because so she did the she... M2 commentary as well with Alex Jake. So Alex it was Jake, nice yeah. to see. So we wasn't sure if we we're going to get Alex and Alex again for, for F2. But mm. uh, if no, you can't don't. have both of them there, then why not have an Alex and an Alice? Yeah, <laughs> but she was... Great for alliteration, but also great for just simply the the sort of scope that she can bring to it. This is a girl who's done a bit of feeder series racing. We always saw in uh, W series. She's raced in single seaters before. She knows how the weekends. She's racing Alex Bundle in. In yeah, previous single series and seater series as well. So very interesting from that side. But she's able to bring this great sort of commentary to be able to inform you as to what's going on, but also this insight as to what it means to be a driver, to be a team down in the on the circuit working away. So very much a, a valuable person to have in the commentary box and a, a welcome one please come back alice powell if you if you listen to us on this podcast whatever reason i'm sorry um but also we love your work in the commentary box and we'd be more than happy to have you back in our ears time for it. Mm. yeah We'll launch into the Formula 2, though, going off of that. And uh, the sprint race, first of all, I'm going to run through it, just the highlight, essentially. And in chronological order, Novelak tapped Kushmini coming out of the tunnel and spun him around for the early doors, causing a slow-motion crash of pretty much hilarious proportion as four cars, which were Nassani, Boschum, Leclerc, and Stanek, crashed, slash didn't crash, but crashed. And it was only the type of crash you could have at Monaco, really. And... Uh, only a couple of them retired, 
a couple of them then limped on a bit longer and it was kind of just very odd to see what damage they did sustain slash didn't sustain but then could carry on a little bit and then it was all just very odd but Novelak got a 10 second penalty for the collision and then got a 5 second penalty on Novelak for speeding in the pit lane he's not had a good season and it's some would say karma for other things but who who knows there was then a race restart with Hadjar leading and then his car immediately died on him in what was just I had to laugh a little bit because it was just such rotten bad luck. Like, oh, of course, oh, it just had to happen at that point. This was the mechachrome moment of the weekend, really. Well, no, actually, it wasn't mechachrome moment of the weekend because it also impacted Fittipaldi, didn't it? I think so. Yeah, it was yeah. Fittipaldi of... retired with an engine failure as well, which again, yes, yes, you his don't see too much happening in many other sort of of the single seaters it doesn't really happen in f3 but the mechachrome v6s in these f2 cars are useless engines they really are no it wasn't wasn't great it wasn't also great for cordial when is it when he crashed out at mirabeau on lap 22 and then bearman went out a few laps later because his front right was completely bent in and it was just not not a good weekend for him especially after having such a solid weekend in baku last time out Iwasa then won the sprint race by seven seconds from Deruvula in P2. Somehow he's woken up again and has decided to, to do good. I don't know how long that will last for, though. And then Jack Crawford in P3, who it's just nice to see up there. We kind of, kind of again, he's been a little bit further down the order than we would have maybe expected him to be. But at the same time, it's nice that, again, keep remembering it's Monaco. Is challenging in its own respect in a lot of ways. So if you can really hook up qualifying and granted the sprint race shows that you got reversed, but you had to be in a decent position anyway, out of all 22 cars to be in a position to get reversed up to a decent position and then make a little bit of progress. Not bad at all. And you're on the podium in Monaco. You're not going to complain or look at that too much. Mm. I mean, yeah, to get a good lap time around Monaco in fairly tricky to handle feeder series cars is by no means... Uh, sort of uh, a laughing matter so yeah it's a decent thing I think the interesting one for me from a lot of this was um, Duan he's he really came strong at the tail end of last year's season I think it sort of gave us almost a false hope for his ability to get something Mm. like this car did he move teams as well between seasons I can't remember I'm not 100% sure off the top of my head but it did remind me that over on Inside F2 friends of our podcast and we were all predicting championship winners for the year and about 90% of us said Jack Dewan because of how strong he was looking off the tail end of last year. And he's kind of taken that very personally and decided to ruin all of our hopes for it. And it just, I mean, the bad luck continued in Monaco as we'll get to in a minute in the future race, but it just, we've no idea what's happened there really. And still not entirely sure who is going to win this year. It's, we're definitely not having a Drogovic year of, oh, this boy's going to go and do it and there's not much anyone can do about it. We've got a good few different contenders up there, but weirdly, Jack Dillon currently isn't one of them. We used to have 16 races left over eight rounds, but that's going to have to be a Herculean effort along with a lot of bad luck for some of the other drivers, which it's F2, it's possible, but it's, uh, yeah, it's not a good time for him. Yeah, just not not what you'd expected from a driver that looked so strong coming through the field last year and sort of came out of nowhere for a bit then all of a sudden all the discussion was jack doing this jack doing that and now it's jack doing some spinning and not driving very good mm. feature race wise though my first note is just cordial out can't remember what happened to him he was just out pretty early doors leclerc then lost his brakes and the curse continued for him as he retired and just seems that it doesn't matter 
which member of the Lucado family you are, Monaco is not the place for you. Fittipaldi's mm-hmm. engine, as you alluded to, Jesse, then blew up coming out of the tunnel and he promptly retired. That's why I wasn't thinking about it for the sprint race. It didn't happen there. It happened in the feature race. I was saying it happened in the sprint race. It just happened. It's a, it's again, it's that thing of the mechachrome engines. They've been lauded for a while of being a bit of a boat anchor. And the fact that it's such a, you can rely on them failing to, to a point that there is a meme that regularly circulates around F1 Twitter when it happens of you just got mechachromed. Uh, come on. Obviously, they, they were no good in F1 either when we had the mechachrome engines in. No. Was it the Williams, I think? Probably. Knowing their luck. Yeah, it was... Again, why do we keep going back to them? Uh, anyway, I'll leave you to continue. Doolan crashed out properish coming out of the hill on lap 22, and it was, again, just a very bizarre crash. It didn't... There wasn't an obvious reason for it. It just he just crashed. I mean, we saw a lot of the replays because the race then got red flag because of debris of fluid being across the track and it's Monaco and you can't just clean up. You can clean up quickly, but you need to kind of stop racing from happening to do that. Um, it's a very odd crash, but then resulted in everyone kind of going in the pits initially before it did get red flagged to try and take the most of the opportunity of what was that when yellows. Porsche got double stacked with Martins and got dropped from the tracks mid-stop, which is oof, just going to hurt a little bit as the driver in the cockpit. And then he got investigated for that by the stewards because they had the team hadn't followed the proper procedure for a bit stop, which is yeah. just a bit of an insult to injury there. I don't know if the um, proper procedure is simply just get some guys and pick the car back up. I, I assume yeah, there's it's, a proper it's, way of doing it, but yeah, as opposed to just going... He's the most stuff is a bit odd. Yeah, but, um, yeah, I, do we want to talk? I suppose the next thing to really talk about this is Cordial comes back out many, many laps yes. down after they use the sort of red flag period to fix what went wrong and go, oh, I'm back out. At least might as well get some distance under you, get used to the car and go on from there. Um, 18 laps down, 18 though, laps so, down. which is very F2 in its own little weird What way. was even more impressive, though, about that was, and I was talking to Inside of Two Fridge Ford about this as this was happening, like 18 laps down, it's not impossible. He could still win this. It's doable. And then it kind of did look less impossible because he was suddenly seven laps down as opposed to 18. And come the end of the race, he was only on the graphics one lap down on the rest of the field, which either he was doing some supersonic performances in his car and was unlapping himself 17 times Mm. in what was then a timed race. And there were about seven minutes on the clock left. In which case, when the footage comes out, I cannot wait to see it and it will eclipse anything from Hungary last year. I think and at that point, he like technically nothing. becomes a particle um, accelerator. Yeah, you kind of, it's, yeah, I don't know what kind of, he's got Mario Kart kind of tools available to him at that point to help him get past everyone. Um, but then Victor Martin's got a drive through penalty when he was up in P2 because he didn't slow down the other flags. I don't know if you've seen the, the, the replay of I this. I have seen the replay of this. It is it shocking. It was very, very dangerous. And I'm kind of just a li- little bit shocked by it. But it was just... Yeah, this was... Ooh, that a, could have been a lot worse than... I mean, nothing happened, but it could have been so very, very bad. I think we're lucky nothing happened there. This was... a. Uh, could have been a Herculean crash and mm-hmm. would have likely been fatal. Which was already a Herculean crash in some ways because of Doohan's engine deciding kaboom is the yeah. aim of the day. Kaboom? Yes, Rico. Kaboom. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
we'll wind the clock back to the start of Duan's crash, which, if anything, starts back at the exit of La Piscine, where he sort of taps the wall and breaks his right rear suspension. But it's not a significant break. It's probably like a light fracture that's not hobbled the car in any notable way, right until it's sort of really loaded through Sandovot and then on the hip climb up towards Massonet, where all of a sudden it just fails as he turns in for the left. Obviously, weight transfer across the car snaps the suspension and he just gets jettisoned sort of sideways and backwards into the wall with such force that it embeds his rain light in the armco breaks the arm codes, dented the arm code to the point that had to be replaced. And he sort of hops out of the car, mercifully injured. Engine go kaboom, worrying. Again, mechachrome, not ultimately surprising. Um, so obviously marshals are now out on track with fire extinguishers. The track is sort of, with runoff running down the hill, being soaked in extinguishing liquid, engine sort of contaminants, fuels, oils, coolant. And out of nowhere, for some reason, under clear double-waved yellows, you have Victor Martins come barreling towards them around a section that's sort of semi-blind and then luckily manages to make evading action and sort of swing around the rear of the mess. But that could have been an awful sort of... It almost feels bad to say a Tom Price accident, but that's the nearest thing nearest thing you can draw a parallel to is marshals on track with fire extinguishers and a car hurtling towards them at high speed there's that was a horrendous accident when it happened in period and it would have been absolutely awful if we'd seen a sort of replay of that in monaco this weekend so i think when we first saw that martin's been handed a drive-through penalty for not slowing down under yellows everyone goes oh it seems like they've not so much throwing the book at him, but beat him to a pulp with it. But then we see his onboard. And then you see it and you're like, oh, and the no, fair enough, why. actually. <laughs> and I think there's a very good reason they held back on showing us the replay for a good while. Mm. And then went, no, you don't get away with a slap on the wrist for that behaviour on track. You you need to learn your lesson. And yeah, you're running in P2. We're going to total your race for that. And again, it's one of those things that I don't feel that the possible circum- the possible outcomes of a sort of rules and fraction should dictate the penalty but i hope that this has made martins go no that was yeah that was unacceptable hopefully someone has sat him down shown him back that footage and gone you've done screwed up there fella i think there's a valuable lesson to be learned talking to people who keep screwing up though Novelak was given a five-second penalty for unfortunately being a Muppet, which is essentially erratic driving against Nassani, of all people, coming out of the tunnel. And they just seem to be tussling a lot. And of all the drivers to be fighting with, why do you choose Roy Nassani? Yeah, that's... Because you know that's not going to probably go well. You just wait three times for him to make a mistake and drive past him, surely. Yeah, you just wait for him to take himself out of the equation as per usual. I mean, yeah, you just pick a race. And Novelak just with an awful weekend all round, and you just kind of wonder, you got here somehow, where's your talent gone? Or has it run out a bit and maybe you shouldn't have been promoted? Or I don't know, it just it seems odd. We've got 22 cars up there. It's kind of the future F1 stars of tomorrow is how it's built all the time. And then you look at some of the drivers on the grid and you think, I mean, mm. really though? I've never looked into Novelak's F3 um, sort of campaigns. That might be something worth doing at a later point in time because I'm quite tired and we don't want this to overrun too much with my furious Googling. But yeah, he's not a driver that's impressing. He didn't Which impress hugely last year. The only thing on that one is the fact that Pushminey was someone we 
crapped on a lot at the beginning of the season because of his F3 record, and he's done extremely well. Monaco this weekend, not his best friend, but did probably, but we were kind of maybe expecting that at best for him this year. So F3 is a little weird on how they take punts on certain drivers, but again, in terms of risks turning out, Novelak's not really, I mean, last year he was against Drogovic, okay, fine, but was nowhere near him on any stretch of the imagination. And this year, just kind of the team switch hasn't worked. And he's fighting Nisani and getting penalties for it because he can't even fight Nisani properly, which if anyone's getting a penalty in that fighting scenario, it should be Nisani just based off history. So very odd there. But out in front, it was Frederick Vesti in P1, pole to flag, excellent job there. Poor chair P2, Maloney, boy from Barbados, P3. You'll appreciate this as well. Alex Jakes on the commentary when they were talking about Maloney said it's absolutely mandatory now we've got to refer to him as the boy from Barbados. Who I want to know where that stems from because that cannot, I doubt that was like an us thing that's become wider. I kind but, of would be fun if it was because I can't remember great. anyone saying this before us and Jake, to be honest. Yeah, I will say though that our feeder series stuff, if you're listening to our feeder stuff, hello, welcome, thank you. Sometimes does a lot better than our F1 stuff. There is a there is a there is, there's a bit out chance it, so. that for some we do reason, people I'll, in Barbados listen to it as well. We do we actually, we do the, in the caption. So if you're from Barbados, comment below. There's probably a chance if you're listening on Spotify to drop us a comment as well. Say hello, welcome again. How's the weather? I assume possibly better than where we are in the UK and Ireland. Um, yeah, well done to your driver. He's not doing too badly. No, not at all. He's in our Barbudan hands. Does wrap that up quite nicely, that one. And we can move on to F3 then, which relatively tame overall, which is quite surprising, as we've mentioned at the top of this. The sprint race in particular was, it has some one black drama taking two MP motorsport cars out of the equation early doors. But apart from that, there wasn't much else to talk about. Tommy Smith was put through the ringer at several points, akin to Button Verline a few years ago, just before the tunnel. He's kind of very nearly got flipped, essentially, but was able to just kind of sort that only managed to finish the race but it was pretty tame affair overall like i say pepe marty in p1 leonardo funeroli in p2 eight seconds behind and then greg was in p3 so it's pretty standard affair and the feature race was better in terms of quality but again there wasn't an awful lot going on there ido cohen fresh and thought for the swimming pool which was a bit of a hard shunt but again monaco f3 we would be surprised if that didn't happen at some point Bernard got a 10-second penalty for cutting T1 and getting two positions. Interestingly, that happened on the very first lap, and the marshals, the stewards, sorry, were very um, harsh and strict on what was allowed and what wasn't there. Hugh Barter did the same thing, but he only got a five-second penalty because he only gained one position as a result of that. But it's interesting to see that worked out and being able to see why it was only five seconds for him and 10 seconds for Bernard. So that mm. was that was interesting. I like that. Collis and Montoya battle left the former out with a puncture, which was unfortunate because that was a nice little scrap going on there. And Montoya's race was ruined because of a new front wing being needed as they made contact coming up the hill. The latter got a 10-second penalty for that one for causing the collision, which uh, awkward, but again, that's that's racing sometimes. And you had Polman, Gabriel Mini in P1 with Ganovic. He was pushing towards him but couldn't quite get anywhere near Mini to, to challenge for that really in P2. And then poor Aaron in P3. And the one last thing I want to say about Formula 3 as a whole over the weekend is that all of the stewards this weekend, I don't know if you know this, that was the first time they were all women. Oh, well, that's an interesting little fact. And one that ties in neatly with whichever podcast you mentioned. It was the, it's the Spain preview, yeah, which you'll listen to Spain next, um, where we mentioned about the sort of prevalence of women coming through in other 
elements of motor racing, especially in IndyCar, we noticed it. Um, that's great to see, great to know. I will say F3 didn't feel very F3 this weekend. It felt a bit like mm. 2.5, just a, a bit more mature, a bit tidier than it usually is. Which I don't know if I'm impressed like that. or annoyed don't by like that. that. No, I'm annoyed by it. We want it for the craziness, which yeah. doesn't mean crashing necessarily. It just means mad racing and attempts to overtake some places. And with the smaller cars, we've seen in Formula E, overtaking is very, very possible. So F3, mm. do better next year if you come back here. Yeah, yeah do, do better. Give us more crashes and stuff, I guess. I don't know. We we like F3. For well, just the closer racing. Just at least doesn't need to be the crashes, but mm. there's more overtaking there generally, more kind of overtaking places where you wouldn't expect it to be they find it on any track and they just got to get the memo equally was this f this was f3's first time in monaco wasn't it in the in the in the, in the current iteration three, yeah they were there for gb3 way back when um, yeah. but it's been quite a bit of time since then yeah so for many of these drivers this is going to be the first well for all of these drivers by and large this is going to be the first time they've ever raced around monaco it's going to be quite daunting so you can understand that some of them are entering this with a little bit more trepidation than particularly potentially other other race. Meanwhile, that does take us neatly into one other thing we want to talk about for Formula 3, which is obviously, of course, Lersh Watch. She qualified in P27, did Sophia. It was a shame because she had some really strong practice session times considering where kind of the area she normally is. She's kind of a P18, P19 area, which is kind of like, ah, okay, we're going to be Monaco again if we're going to assume that you kind of start if you kind of finish where you start, sorry, then that would have been quite encouraging. So it was a shame to see her all the way down there. Sprint race finished P23, although as you've kindly pointed out, two drivers ahead of her did retire, plus Huntigany was running three laps down with problems. That's going well for him, by the way. His career is going excellently. And so we're only looking at one genuine on-track position change here, which she, has said, she said herself, there wasn't really much that we could do here. There was potential a little bit, but not much you could kind of do. And then the feature race, she started on the pit lane with her teammates because of a team operation infringement, which, grr, and uh, finished P23 again, made it places, but the fastest laps in two seconds off the pace of the pack ahead. Again, it's kind of, without the data, it's hard to know why these things happen all the time. We might want to look at that at a, whenever the hell we get a breather from all of motorsport at some point, go back and have a really deep dive into the reason behind some of these things. Wisniki arguably had the, the better of her on this weekend in the same car, which is interesting because normally not the case. She is normally leading the two teammates. So interesting kind of inter-team battle going on there. More place yeah. gain in this sprint, tighter qualifying, better feature. Not a bad weekend, not a good weekend, just kind of a, a weekend. Yeah, it's I, usually it's quite interesting to this flush watch, especially because it's interesting to sort of very much the sort of weird being the sort of forerunner, almost ignore I don't want to say full runner of women coming into the modern era of single seaters. We did have um, she could be the benchmark to Udma do flop in, the... in F in Formula Two last year as well. We had Tatiana um, Calderon. Calderon. Yeah. but yeah, it's she's the next one to kind of carry that torch mm. forward and try because as good as F1 Academy is with all of its stuff and it does have its problems as well. Sophia is there in F three going, hey guys. Let it me, can be done. Let me it takes a long old time with a lot of other series in the middle mm. between it to secure enough um, sponsorship. Again, that's the big thing holding a lot of female drivers yeah. back is securing sponsorship. But the crucial thing is you it's great to celebrate her performances. They have to be taken in context against the rest of the playing field. You can't give them this weird sort of hyper podium above everything else. They, you have to look at them in the grand scheme of things. And 
that's often one of the interesting things where people start to find that against the likes of Chadwick in some of the earlier seasons, she ran in single seaters. I think GB4, she had a bit of a torrid season. Again, you've got to look at the season holistically. You can't just pick and choose the results where she wasn't winning or on the podium. But you've, you've got to look at them against the rest of the field in which they compete and certainly against teammates, which is why I wanted to bring up Wisnicki, who had a better weekend. But like you said, generally... Flush has got the handle of what's not a brilliant PHM Charouze. So, yeah, swings and roundabouts. It's still important for that self-confidence boost and proving that you're at least going the right direction. It's also worth noting, because I know you love the statistic, Jesse, that out of all the drivers racing in Formula 1, Formula 2, Formula 3, and the Porsche Super Cup at Monaco this weekend, there was, I think, 100 drivers in total, only one female driver, Sophia Flush. So she is up against quite a bit of competition there and trying to make herself stand out from the rest of the crowd and forge a pathway through all of that. Yeah, I mean, when you add on the entire, what was it, 33 drivers from IndyCar, you're only adding Mm -hmm. in a further one female driver to that. I'm trying to think about any other major series that ran across the weekend. There was no F1 Academy. Um, No Formula E, no Extreme no LAS, no WEC. Uh, you're sort of looking towards was BTCC on over the weekend because I know you've yes got... it was you do have a few more there in Genetics and that kind yeah. of thing but again you're having to go a little you're bit really sort of diverging from the mainstream motor racing to try and find more female sort of drivers so again it's it's an achievement in and of itself getting that seat certainly as a female driver where the odds are stacked against you but once you're in I think it's it's only fair that you have not necessarily criticism but your metrics are judged against your teammates as you would be any other driver I think that's the thing you've got to argue is and this was something that I know um the rally driver Michelle Mouton wanted most was mm. not to be judged as woman, but to be judged against her peers in yes. the field, where she was essentially was sort of a few points shy of being a world rally champion. That there is no arguing that, and there were drivers that genuinely feared her on track because they knew they could not get close to her. And I think that's the thing is when you start looking at people against the rest of the field, that's where you get a real handle on what makes a racing driver. And that's the crucial way of framing it. It's not what makes a female racing driver. It's what makes a racing driver. I think the last thing I'll say on that before we move on is that as well, like you say, this PHM car isn't the best one on the grid either. So it's, it's, it's. We're trying to get a handle on a but in a bad being a racing driver, yeah. but we don't want the same thing to happen to her that happened to Tatiana last year. Essentially, is that you're given a shit car, and then oh yeah, she's not done great. So why should we push her up in a in a different team? It's like well, if you had that with a bug, you wouldn't be saying that because you literally it's happened all the time where a driver in a crap car down the bottom grid suddenly is in a Prima or in a, yeah. or in a yeah. Carlin, you know. So just Daniel I'd like to see F1 in a yeah. Hispania HRT. And yeah, working his way up and ended up at Red exactly. Yeah, it's if that it argument. doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But you'd at least like to see a chance for it. And mm-hmm. arguably, with a lot of the drivers in F three in particular, you're better off taking a punt on someone like Flush, who you know there's definitely potential there. There's a good racing driver over another driver where you know that probably. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to get the same result anyway. So why not mm-hmm. take the chance? And potentially, you look like an absolute hero. And, and you're kind of forging a path for women motorsport and even if it doesn't work you tried and that still looks good for you yeah there's no there's definitely no harm in trying and i really hope this doesn't come across like i'm sort of dumping on females trying to get into racing i think it's it's established across the podcast that i'm very much for it the question i will ask though is do you think she would have been better off entering f1 academy 
Well, she wouldn't have been able to. Oh, hang on. How old is she? I just think they've got an age limit. So I don't that will hinder my answer immediately, depending. Okay, the F1 Academy age limit is 25, 25. years and younger. Sophia... I think she's younger than me, which is probably means she's like 21 or 22 or something. So is, she's 22. Okay. Um, no, essentially then. I still think no, because you still then have to... She'd have to be undoing a lot of what she's already done to get where she was. She was already in F3, bearing in mind, in 2020. So then it's kind of, we're already annoyed that the likes of Marta Garcia and Abby Pulling are in F1 Academy after having multiple seasons in W Series. And if they come into F3, then she owes it to them at the very least to stick it out and go into F3 and try and do it properly there. Because I don't know, she, we know she's good in a car. So there's no point going proving that again by winning another championship in F1 Academy. Just mm. go in F3 and do it that way. So I think even if it's trickier, she'll get more satisfaction out of that. And she very much is like Michelle Newton in that way. She doesn't want to be judged based on, oh, she's pretty good for a female race driver. She just wants to be based on racing driver. She's pretty good for a racing driver. And I think that's the mm. crucial thing. I mean, she... And she Alpine wouldn't have good. got her into the academy for yeah. that reason. Yeah, and I think that she didn't have a great run when she was in F3 in 2020, wasn't it? That was last no, year. she was with Campos then. But again, they were not, kind of the PHM... Yeah. of 2020 so it was this awkward thing again yeah wind the clock back a further season she's in frecker she's scoring points every race of that mm-hmm. which so. is pretty good going again you're against a fairly mixed group of drivers there but i think that you had competitive yeah you had the likes of um going up against ollie caldwell David Schumacher, Fred Vesti, Enzo Fittipaldi. I say, um, you got you kind of lost me with the first team. Like they're not really that good, but the but Vesti and and uh, Fittipaldi. That's yeah, but also you've got Dave Hughes who's now over in Formula. Mm-hmm. Again, you've yep. got some decent names that just pop up in it, and if you're going toe to toe with them and getting points every weekend, that's... and again, also worth noting with a couple of these drivers, uh, similar age, but Dave Hughes and, a, and one or two of the other ones, I can't remember who now, but. They are a good few years older as well, so they're more experienced, and she's beating them at that point. Yeah, very competitive series. So yeah, so, she, she was a lot younger years. than in what was her one and only run in Frecker. So she was a rookie coming into it that year, and yeah, she didn't do a sort of Fittipaldi or a Vesti and sort of podiums, sort of in and out, in and out. But consistency is key. Yeah, consistency is key, and bear in mind that. Of all the drivers that ran in every weekend, um, she did not come uh, the, as the lowest score in that. So you're looking at uh, below that. You still Consta Lapalone and, and uh, Sharon Scolari coming in below that. She was doing really quite well. No disqualifications, no retirements, crucially as well. So we're not talking a driver that's sort of winning it or bidding it. She's yeah. There's talent there. I think an ideal chassis and some ideal driver coaching would really sort of embellish that nicely. So drivers that stood out. Drivers that stood out, which I'll give you a little bit of time to figure your one out. But for me, I've gone for Roman Stanek. He went from P22 to P7 in the feature race, and I thought it'd be a nice little left field choice there instead of going for the main three. And uh, yeah, just quite impressive. I'm not quite sure how he got up there, but kudos. Yeah, it was a decent little drive. Um, I might go straight down the line and go for Vesti, really. A pretty tidy performance for him throughout the weekend. It's worth worth noting, worth sort of giving a, a nice little nod to. And again, being able to keep your cool under safety car restarts and rolling restarts through Monaco to really make that work. 
yeah, credit where it's due, I think, is one of the things that's got to go there. Formula 3, I've gone left field again slightly with Portoletto. P6 in the sprint and P5 in the feature. Still needing the championship. Consistency is key. If he's not on the podium, he's still getting points in both races, which can be incredibly tricky, especially in Formula 3. Because if you have bad qualifying, you kind of maybe save yourself with the sprint because of the reverse nature, but that's not always guaranteed. So it's good that he's being able to just collect points where, where necessary and kind of damage limitation. Mm. I think for my Formula 3 driver, sort of with a bit of praise to heap on them, uh, good enough for Pepe Marti. Fair enough. Yeah, decent, decent sprint race result. Um, yeah, pumping out some fairly quick times. I don't know if anyone really got close to him time-wise. There are a few drivers that really did, but given the fact that he spent a lot of time battling off advances from sort of saucy Farrelly behind him and was able to come home with an eight-second lead is pretty tidy, especially in races where drivers are often coming through in sort of big clumps to be able to pull out an eight-second lead around Monaco in a fairly sort of tempestuous F3 car is pretty good going. So, yeah. Not too shabby at all. Nice. Takes us on to our Driver and Constructors Championship top three for both series. So I will rattle through this quickly. F2 Drivers Championship. Vesti is the new championship leader with 89 points. Porcher in P2. Hot in the seals with 84. Iwasa P3, 69 points. Awkwardly enough, though, he was leading the championship for just about 24 hours, less than 24 hours even, um, after Saturday's sprint win. But that was quickly taken from him. In the Constructors Championship, we've got Premier out front with 130 points. ART Grand Prix in second with 108 and Dams rounding at the top three with 103 points. Over in Formula 3, as mentioned before, you've got Bortoletto leading the way with 73 points, with still a sizable gap over Gabriel Mini in second place with 56 points, and then Gregoire Sorsley in third with 47. Constructors-wise, it's Trident out in front this time with 124 points to their name, Kramer Racing in second with 110 points, and High Tech Pulse 8 with 102 points. All relatively nice and... Not too tight, but not too big a gap either for any of those championship standings in the top three. Yeah, nothing that means that it's all sort of set in stone at this point in time and plenty of scope for things to really keep changing, especially the top end of this F2 championship. If you want to want to follow a driver's championship, it's going to be chopping and changing. F2 is the one to certainly look at or keep an eye on this year. Well, that is all we've got time for on this week's episode. Join us again soon and we'll have some more excellent F1 content for you, probably from the Spanish round for Formula 2 and Formula 3. It's going to be another busy weekend, so do make sure you've liked, subscribed, and got notifications turned on not to miss anything. But in the meantime, Mr. Jesse Billington, where can the people find you? I can be found all across the interwebs on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube as at Jesse on Cars. There should be some YouTube content returning to your screens, hopefully this week if I get a chance to do any editing, though uh, doubtful. It's a busy one. Um, but yeah, there'll be pictures from a weekend at Brands Hatch as well coming up. So plenty of F1 cars, classic GT touring and sports cars appearing there as well. And equally, you can find me in Classic Car Weekly, new issue out on Wednesday, which I think is when this episode drops, with a review of the Citroen 2CV in it, which I wrote and did. Did that's my work, that is. He did the theme tune and everything, did a proper Dennis Warhammer. I did. As for myself, you can find me over on Is It Fast on the Curbs, the Nitro Podcast, Paddock's Royalty, and Instagram, where there is a sleuth of content across all of those this week. It's been a busy old time, but that is very much all we've got time for, as I said. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you again very soon.